God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God sound like? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the Bible is a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, that's a bad pizza? Jesus said we'd recognise his voice and follow him. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Godconversations.com Hi, and welcome to episode 17 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and the founder of GodConversations.com. Today's podcast is the second of a four-part series on how to understand the book of Revelation. Welcome to the podcast. We learnt last week that the book of Revelation has been subject to a myriad of wild interpretations throughout its history. And it's recently become a topic of interest with the release of the movie Left Behind, which is based on the novel series by Tim LaHaye. So if you've ever tried to read the book of Revelation, which is where the film gets its inspiration from, you may be a little bewildered by its strange and colourful imagery, wild beasts and drunken prostitutes, winged creatures with eyes all over them, horses and seals and judgment and lots and lots of blood. The book of Revelation can be quite difficult to understand and I've found that many of us tend to take a wild birth. What about you? Have you read the book of Revelation recently? I encouraged last week for people to read the first three chapters and if you're listening to the podcast today, I encourage you to get your Bible out and cross-reference as we listen. The truth is that the book of Revelation contains a powerful message that's relevant to us today. You know, God spoke to his people back in the first century and we can learn so much from what he said and how he said it. So here at the God Conversations podcast, we're taking some time to look more closely at the book of Revelation. Revelation is of the apocalyptic genre. It's almost entirely a dream vision, which, like most messages of this type, therefore requires interpretation. Now, God spoke commonly in dreams and visions in the Bible days, but Acts chapter 2 verse 17 tells us that he also speaks in dreams and visions to us today. He uses the same mode of communication. So here at the podcast, we're going to be using Revelation as a bit of a case study in order that we may understand how to interpret our own dreams and visions. Today we're looking forward to digging a little bit deeper at many of the meanings of the symbols in this fascinating book. I know you're going to find it helpful, so stay tuned. So right now I'm in the studio and I'm being guided by my sound expert, Peter Wallace. He's a wonderful member of the God Conversations team. But by the time you're listening to this, I'm going to be on the other side of the world in Europe. Looking forward very much to a month-long ministry trip in the countries of the Netherlands and in Switzerland. So I'm very excited to go back and visit some of the churches and also some of the Bible colleges that I've visited before, but some new ones as well. So if you're from that part of the world, perhaps you're listening to the podcast for the first time, can I encourage you to come and say hi? Uh, come and see me on some of those visits. My itinerary is at the website under godconversations.com forward slash news and itinerary. 
But um, I encourage you, come and say hi and welcome again. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you're from Europe or any nation over that side of the world, it's funny. Here in Australia, we've just finished winter. I've just come back from a, a couple of weeks skiing. Some people in Europe are very surprised to note that there is snow on our mountaintops or as my friend calls them, hills. We do have a bit of snow. And in fact, this season we had a great a great bunch of snow, but um, I'm going to be heading back into winter again so I get more of the, the nice cold stuff. But otherwise, people in the Southern Hemisphere, welcome to spring. So let's get back into the book of Revelation. Last week I mentioned five questions that we can use as a framework for interpreting our dreams. And I'll mention them quickly again as a little bit of a refresher. Last week we looked at the first question, the setting What is the setting of the dreamer's life? When you have a dream and you believe it's from God or it could be from God, ask yourself, what's going on in my life at the time? The second question we're going to look at today in regards to the book of Revelation, it's the feeling of the dream. What emotions are there involved in the way the dream plays out? The third question we're also going to start looking at today, the meaning. We're going to be looking at what do the symbols mean to the dreamer? And then in the last podcast, we're going to be looking at the fourth and fifth question, the test, is the dream from God? And number five, the response. How is the dream or the vision asking me to respond? So let's look at that second question today, the feeling. What is the emotion of the dream? Did you know that feelings and emotions are crucial triggers in helping us to discern the meaning of the dream? Dreams have a a powerful way of impacting our emotions. Have you noticed that? Have you ever woken up one morning and you're terrified because of the dream you've just had? Or perhaps you've woken up and you've had one of these really wonderfully happy, peaceful dreams. And if you're anything like me, you're lying there and you're thinking, oh, how can I have that dream again? Dreams impact our emotions. They scare us. They encourage us. They make us happy, they make us sad, they make us frightened, they shock us. So when we have a dream, one of the things that we can do is ask ourselves, what emotions were there? Was there anything that seemed important that really impacted me deeply? Because the emotion itself can be a message. Sometimes in a dream, we experience a change of emotion. We, we're, really, we're really sad and then something happens and we become really happy. Or the reverse may be true. And also that in itself may be a trigger or a way of discerning the meaning. Or perhaps you have a conflicting emotion. You see, for example, a sad scene and you look at it and you're really happy about it. Again, that's going to tell you something about the meaning of the message that the dream is trying to communicate. So let's take an example from the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, we don't see a lot of what the Apostle John is experiencing, but now and then he actually makes a reference to emotion. And he does that particularly in a very key scene that we come upon in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. The scene is of a throne room, the throne room of God. There's the 24 elders and all the living creatures, and they're all standing around worshipping the one who sits on the throne. He has a scroll in his hand and it is sealed tightly with seven seals. So inside that scroll, there's obviously something very important. There's some secret, there's some truth that needs to be unveiled. 
And the question comes, who is worthy to open the seals of the scroll? And this question is is ringing out. And they look for someone to open it and they find that there's no one. There's this problem. There's this secret. There's this key. And they can't find anyone to open it. And this affects the Apostle John, the dreamer. And he has an emotional reaction to it. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 4, it says, I wept and wept because no one was found to be worthy to open the scroll and look inside. He's weeping. He's in grief. Then one of the elders says, hang on, don't weep. We've found someone. And there's this great sense of relief. Finally, someone has been found who is worthy. So the big question is, who is it? Then the angel says, he has the answer. The person is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I can imagine John having the dream and thinking, wow, the the lion. And he's filled with the expectation that there's going to be a ferocious lion, someone great and powerful, a warrior on a white horse, and someone who has great authority and power to open up this seal. But instead, what does he see? Well, it's not a ferocious lion. Revelation chapter 5 verse 6 tells us, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne. He expects to see a ferocious lion, and yet he sees this helpless, weak lamb that looks like it has been slain. It's true that that it's a very unusual-looking lamb. It has seven eyes and seven horns. And this is where we see some of the symbolism coming through very clearly because we know that horns in that culture was a symbol of strength. And we see a lamb who is all-seeing and all-strong. But the symbol is still a lamb. It's still unexpected. As a result of that scene, all the elders around begin worshipping. They have a harp representing worship and golden bowls full of incense representing the prayers of the people. And they all begin to sing a song to the lamb, saying, Worthy is the lamb. Why? Because he was slain. And with his blood he purchased people from every nation, forming them into a kingdom of priests to serve and reign with God. Can you see what's happened here? We see a whole range of emotion from deep concern and grief, this unsolvable problem, if you like. And then we move to a sense of enormous relief. And finally, to a surprise and rejoicing and worship. This change in emotion shows us that the message of Revelation contains an important key. It's a secret to understanding how God's kingdom works and what it means to live is as his people in his kingdom. It establishes an answer to a question that was being asked about how to face the difficult times ahead. Remember we said in the last podcast that God comes to address the issues and the concerns and the circumstances that are facing our lives. We ask the question, how do we cope? How do we survive? For the people of the first century, these seven churches under persecution, the question was, how do we respond to this threat in our midst? And then here, we begin to see some of the answer. We go through this process of 
I don't know. Who's worthy to open the seal? Who's going to tell us what the key is? Who's going to show us the way? And then the answer to that comes through a lamb, a weak, helpless, powerless creature that has given his life. And of course, that, that symbol, that lamb is Jesus. This key, this secret, if you like, sets the whole foundation for the book of Revelation. You see, it's, it's all about the lamb. It's all about his self-sacrificial love of giving his life for the others. This is what gets you into the kingdom. This is what gives you power and authority. This is what makes him worthy of worship. This is the way to open God's seal. It's the key to his glory. It's the key to his justice on the throne. So if you have a dream and you think it's from God, I want you to apply that second question. Ask yourself, what emotion am I experiencing in the dream? Are there any changes to how I feel? Am I peaceful? Am I disturbed? Is something right or is it wrong? Is this a good solution or is this a bad choice? And you'll begin to see as you look at how you respond in the dream to what's being said that that in itself is part of the message. And we can certainly see that with the book of Revelation when we discover that the key to the kingdom, that, the, that God's way, the opening of his seal, of his throne, of his scroll, is that it was Jesus who was slain for us. The third question we're going to look at now, the third question of the five, and in some ways I guess this is the real heart of interpretation. We're looking at the meaning of the dream by trying to understand what the symbols mean to the dreamer. See, the book of Revelation is full of strange symbols. We're going to look at something like 15 to 20 of them over the next two podcasts. But you can't understand the vision you can't understand the meaning of the message without an idea of what the symbols mean. So first of all, we're going to look at a, just a brief introduction to how to interpret symbols. Dreams and visions speak a symbolic language. They use pictures rather than words. So symbols appear in our dreams. They may come as an object. They may come as a person. They may come as an animal, like we've just seen with the vision of the lamb. And at first, when you start to experience this and start to look at your dreams, the language of dreams can appear to be a little bit strange, a little bit unfamiliar. But when we think about it, we begin to see that pictures are the most basic of languages, aren't they? You think about, for example, how your children first learnt to read. You certainly didn't give them the Oxford Dictionary. What did you give them? A picture book. See, a picture tells a thousand words. Sometimes a picture can depict a meaning or a message in a way that it would take a lot more words to say the same thing. It communicates effectively. And we understand that each symbol can represent something and that the symbols themselves are not literal. And I think this is quite easy to understand when we look at Revelation, for example, because you and I know that lambs do not usually have seven horns and seven eyes. There's something about the symbology of the lamb. The eyes obviously represent the fact that he sees everything. The horns, a picture of strength. And again, this lamb is a symbol of Jesus. So when we look at a dream, we ask ourselves, what do the symbols mean? 
But not only what do they just mean, but what do they mean to us? What do they mean to the people receiving the revelation? We talked about last week the fact that Revelation has been subject to myriads of interpretations and misinterpretations throughout the years. And we can see, can't we, that symbols can mean many different things. You can interpret things however you like. So the key is to understand that we need to see how the symbols themselves are represented for the people that the message is being addressed to. So there are symbols that are generic to all cultures, I think of the classic one, the symbol of the red heart, perhaps more common in our day, thanks to Valentine's Day and greeting cards. But if you think about a red heart, what does that represent? Well, we know that it represents love. It's a fairly generic symbol. If you were to go around the world today and draw a red heart, most people would understand that means love. I think of another generic symbol, the the symbol of the colour white, very much a, a symbol of purity across cultures through history and time. And then there are symbols that are a lot more personal or individual. I think of the symbol of a cat. Now, if you're my brother and you see a cat in your dream, that cat represents a pest because my brother hates cats. There's nothing about them that he likes. They are annoying. So if he sees a cat in his dream, it represents something that's annoying. But for me, if I have a dream about a cat, It's a source of comfort to me. It means something completely different. So the symbol becomes quite personal and individual. And that's why it's important to say, well, what does it represent to you? And then there are symbols that are common to to isolated cultures that don't necessarily translate across all cultures but are specific to the community in which you live. I think of a friend of mine. She works for the Australian Red Cross. Now, as you may know, the symbol for the Red Cross, which is a symbol of safety and protection, particularly in times of need and war, is a white background with a red cross. And that symbol is very powerful. It's like a refuge that people can go to. And it has great potency in times of of war and danger as a symbol of protection. However, if you're from a country outside of the, the Christian West, if you're from a Muslim country... There's no such thing as a red cross. It doesn't mean the same thing. The equivalent is the red crescent. For Muslims, that's the safety and that's the symbol of protection. So we need to understand that symbols can be specific to cultures, to specific communities. And in the same way, we see this operating in the book of Revelation. Some symbols we'll recognise immediately because they've endured through time and place. But some symbols we won't understand what they mean without a little bit of extra research. I think of the lamb that we've just mentioned. When we see the lamb in in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we immediately know, hang on, that's representing Jesus. It's not a literal animal, but it's Jesus. And we know that because it's a reference way back to the Exodus where the Passover lamb was given to protect them from the angel of death. So someone who's read the Old Testament and the New Testament will be familiar with that. If you weren't a Christian, if you weren't a Jew, you probably wouldn't recognise that symbol straight away without sort of digging a little bit deeper. Another common symbol which is fairly easy to interpret is the symbol that we see of the prostitute. 
And we know that a prostitute is someone who is not faithful to the covenant of marriage. So they're, kind, they're sleeping with multiple lovers. They're not true to a promise, to a singular covenant. And so the meaning of the prostitute is someone who is unfaithful and who's betraying um, their partner, if you like, becomes quite clear. So those are symbols we may be familiar with. But there are some other symbols where we need to do a little bit more research. And we look for clues from the reference point that the first century church had, which was firstly within scripture, the New and the Old Testament. In fact, Revelation borrows from images from other apocalyptic material, such as the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel. And it even draws from other books and other literature around from outside the scriptures, books like First Enoch, which you may have heard of. We can also look outside of scripture to other places in the culture of the Greco-Roman world. For example, when you first read the book of Revelation, you may not immediately click into some of the symbolism of the numbers. The symbolism of numbers was very much a part of first century Greco-Roman thinking. You may not be familiar with what the lampstands represented or perhaps the beast with the seven heads. So we need to do a little bit of digging to ask ourselves, hang on, what do these symbols mean to those people who were receiving the revelation? You know, some people have got a little tripped up on this. I read some material once where someone thought that the winged creatures represented helicopters, which is a little bit odd <laughs> because, of course, First century people had never seen helicopters, so we know that it certainly didn't mean that. The truth is, with our 2,000-year distance, we can't always be entirely sure of what every single element represents. And I think it's important to approach the text with a degree of humility. Remember, we are, we're observers, listening into the God conversations of others that took place two millennia ago. But one thing we do know is that the symbols and the imagery of Revelation would have been completely understandable to both the Apostle John and to the audience of the seven churches, or at least they would have been familiar. It's helpful to us that John sometimes points out specifically what the symbols means, but at other times it's more assumed. So as I said, we need to, to approach the text with a little bit of caution and a little bit of humility, I think of it, it's very similar to how we approach our own dreams. We come to God and we ask for wisdom. We ask for discernment. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. We do the homework. We do the reflection and the meditation, a bit of the research. But we also ask God to help us to be discerning. And then we test it to see if it sounds like something that he would say. Well, thanks for listening today. I hope that what we've talked about has laid a bit of a foundation for how to understand the symbolism of your dreams. I think as we unpack this book more, you're going to see that God is incredibly creative. He's a masterful communicator. And his use of visuals, his use of pictures and symbols create a powerful impact on our imaginations and how we can understand his purpose and his will for our lives. In the next podcast, we're going to look more specifically at some of the symbols that we come across in the first part of Revelation. I know you're going to find it helpful and I know it's going to be fascinating. So looking forward to talking with you again the next time we're on the podcast. Bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So post your comments on the blog page of godconversations.com 
or at facebook.com forward slash Tanya M. Harris. Help us to equip others to recognize God's voice by rating the series on iTunes. Remember, Jesus said we would know his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.